Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome to Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. We're proud to partner with Vikings Territory, Purple PTSD, and Purple Territory Radio. If you're looking for great Vikings coverage, be sure to stop by these sites. And if you're and you're always welcome at the Vikings Gazette. And with that being said, let's get the first down. Uh, we want to talk about the Super Bowl, Kyle. Uh, we both watched last night. Obviously, the Vikings were not there, but but we saw the Bucks and the Chiefs, just as I had predicted. Uh, what, what, what were your overall impressions last night? Yeah, I, I had like a side uh, gambling ring that had like the over/under. Uh, how long does it take for Sam to mention that this was actually his prediction? Is that like, and I think all all the safe money was at under one minute, and perfect, so a lot of perfect. people are happy now. Yeah, you know, I was thinking last night. I was like, man, we should have done a, like an actual like pick our winners. And I'm glad I didn't because I would have been wrong. Yeah, I, I picked the Chiefs as well. Uh, um, I was on the fence, and then I saw that my buddy Mitch, and he did, you know helps with our our pick'em series, and he picked the Bucks. And so I kind of said, well, that should be the tiebreaker. I shouldn't we shouldn't get all the same picks. So I, I ended up going. I said, okay, well, let's do the Chiefs. And uh, well, anyhow, that didn't work out very well, did it? Uh, it was. I think it'd be fair to say that it was somewhat of an underwhelming game, just in that it was so hyped, you know, in that you have Mahomes and Brady kind of the best to ever play and then the best currently playing right now. But it is, you know, I, I, you know, we talked about this last night a little bit, Sam, we're saying like Mahomes, he's now played two Super Bowls and he won last year. He lost this one. He really hasn't played well overall in these two uh, Super Bowls. And it doesn't seem that people really are talking about that very much, which is kind of surprising to me. He he, he definitely didn't look good last night. And I, I, I was trying to figure out if it was if it was him or if it was the plan or if it was just how good the Bucks defense was. And I think that as as we see in football, it's not not one single thing. Um, I did see yeah. that he was record like he was pressured a Super Bowl record 29 times last night and like he was running for his life especially in the fourth quarter like I and I part of me was watching I, I thought that sometimes you see with the Kansas City offense it just looks so well oiled and like they've got the screens going and like play action and, and it just it felt like Mahomes was holding on the ball for so long each time and yeah. part of that might have just been like the pressure and just things weren't able to get set up but like yeah. Tyreek Hill needs to get the ball and that didn't happen and they just like they never it was never like I was expecting them to to have their late late game comeback and it just didn't happen. I mean, I think any basically any coach who has any brains at all is going to look at this and say, you know, the basic strategy is you always try and determine so what does a team do well, right? And then you start by trying to take away what that team does well. And this is what Bill Belichick has had a lot of success by eliminating a team's first option and then forcing them to go to their second or their third option. And so I think, you know, you got to give credit to Todd Bowles and to the Bucks and that they looked at it and said, okay, they obviously want to take the top off the defense. They've got a young quarterback who's got an absolute rocket for an arm. You've got the perfect wide receivers in terms of their skill set when it comes to Mahomes's, you know, giftings and his ability to throw the ball downfield and all this crazy stuff. And so I think that you got to give Bulls credit in that he recognized what Kansas City wants to do well. And that's, you know, 
they're, they're going to pass the ball. They're going to pass a lot, and they want to get these speedsters going. And they basically, they adjusted their approach to take that away from Kansas City. And to me, the fault kind of falls more. It is concerning that Mahomes hasn't played super well in two games. But the fault lies more at Andy Reid's feet, in my mind, because you see Todd Bowles taking away your number one option. And then if you're a coach, you say, okay, game on. I anticipated this. We're going to counter by doing X, Y, and Z. And it didn't really feel, you know, like with Sam was saying there, like you get these moments where you're looking at Mahomes, you know, and he's patting the baby. He's not throwing the ball. He's just tapping the ball, looking at him field. And I think that's because the plays are designed, you know, he's looking to find Tyreek Hill in that play, but Tyreek Hill's not there, right? And he's looking to do this in this play, and it's not there because the Bucks are loading up on, num- you know, shutting them that number one option. And it didn't really seem like Kansas City was able to make that adjustment. And so... I think Mahomes deserves a certain amount of criticism in that he, I don't think he played well, really, even, even before. I mean, like Sam was saying, the fourth quarter, I mean, he was just getting the crap beat out of him. But even before then, he, he wasn't sharp. But the coaching staff, I don't think, did a great job of setting up their offense for success. I don't know why they didn't lean on the run game more, especially early, and why they didn't um, kind of take like a death by a thousand paper cuts approach where you soften the bucks up by, by going underneath. I mean, if they're going to play too high, look, if they're going to give you that, then like there are ways of beating that. Now we, we just need to adjust in order to do that. So it was a little surprising from my perspective. Well, yeah, like I think you saw, they came out in the third quarter and they, they broke up with two pretty good runs and like, it felt like they were, they were getting to like, move on, but it just never really felt like it was happening. It just didn't feel like they, they, there wasn't like momentum. Like the fact that there was no touchdowns yep. for that team is just like unbelievable. Like if, if I think I don't know what the the betting lines would have been last night, but I don't think that anyone would have predicted that the Chiefs wouldn't score one touchdown as a right. team. And like I just think that that's wild that, that they they were caught in that position. Like one of the things, like I I find myself wanting to defend Mahomes, and I know that like he doesn't need to be defended. He's the best player in the in the world potentially if you yeah. like depending on what you you how you want to talk about it he, he plays the most important position he's the best at it how much would you say that toe is an excuse or is like a factor because he he looked like he was running pretty good like it, it didn't look like his mobility and he like he broke off some rushes but obviously he's probably pumped up on adrenaline and, and whatever yeah. drugs and he's just trying to do the best he can yeah, I don't see the toe as being like a major factor. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, was, you saw him limping around out there, especially towards the end. How much of that is the toe and how much of that is just picking up bumps and bruises throughout the game, right? Because he did get hit a lot and hit pretty hard. To me, again, like like you said, you know, he picked up those runs. He was getting a few first downs running the ball. And I think the reason why is because, you know, Tampa Bay was – it's always kind of a zero-sum game, right? Like you steal from Peter to pay for Paul. And so if you you want to shut down Tyree Kill down the field, well, that's great. But that means now that there's going to be more room to run the ball, right? So when those four guys rushing the passer, you know, can't contain the quarterback, he's able to slip out and maybe find some room in the flat because you have so much attention down the field, right? And so I think that maybe, you know, Mahomes found that room early and was able to have a few nice runs maybe in spite of the toe injury and I think to me I just 
the real blame, to my mind, based off just what I saw last night, not reading anything, not looking at the film, nothing like that. To me, the blame goes to the coaching staff's inability to adjust. I just think they had to do a better job. Yeah, it just really didn't seem like, even though like there was a plan B, or like obviously they could exactly, but like it just felt exactly. like they they kind of just they just didn't feel like there's any any adaptation, which like seems wild to me. And I guess yeah, anyways, you, you there's lots of different things, and even like I just I felt sick for that punter, uh, watching him just like shank punt after punt. I know. Like, oh, like. Like yeah. th- that's the position that you don't want. Like it's like one of those positions that like you don't you don't want to hear anything from them um, exactly. because it's just like routine, similar to um, someone at, at on the offensive line. Like you don't want there to be any tension unless you're you're doing a really good job of shutting down someone. Like you he just early made a name for himself, and and then it just like like we saw with with uh, with Bailey when when your special teams is unreliable, it just throws a lot of things off in your game plan. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And you don't like, like Sam was saying, like you don't really think about it a lot of times because it's just, it should be ideally should be so kind of plug and chug. You just, it's just almost automatic. But then when you don't have it and you realize how important it is. And I, I do feel for the kid. I do feel for the punter because that's a tough way to head into your off season. And I think that there's a lot of folks on Kansas City's side that, are going to reflect back on this and say, man, oh man, we really did not play well here. And that, and that's from really probably throughout the organization, from the coaches down to the players to, you know, the whole thing. It just was not a good game for them. Um, we're a Vikings podcast. What, what were the connections with the Vikings that you saw last night? Anything you want to, you mentioned in terms of Minnesota connections from, uh, from the Super Bowl last night? Yeah, I think, you know, we won't dive too deep into this. We won't, like, even dare, I mean, you can talk about, like, Mike Remmers. He was starting a left tackle. Or, but I think maybe the main one to highlight, and this is kind of a feel-good story a little bit in the sense where it's Antoine Winfield Jr., rookie. His dad, Antoine Winfield, was a corner for the Vikings. Safe to say that he is, he would be probably, like, a Vikings great. I don't think he'll ever make the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's... I don't know if NFL fans would look at him and say, like, this is an NFL great, but he was a fan favorite among Vikings fans. He was a great pro, super physical. He was a corner who tackled like a linebacker. He was great. And then his son is now playing safety for the Bucks. He had that taunting penalty at the end. I'm fine with it. It didn't really hurt his team. And, you know, he's a young guy, good cop in the moment. He's winning the Super Bowl in his rookie year. And then you see the photo of... Antoine Winfield Jr. hugging his dad. You know, it's just to me, to me, that's exciting. And I know that Antoine Winfield Jr. he posted that thing on Instagram after the Saints game, where he, you know, he talked about, you know, I think his quote was something to the effect of "Made some grown men cry today. Don't feel bad. This was from my pops back in '09." And so, just you know, throwing back to the whole Bounty Gate stuff. Uh, so I, I'm very happy for Antoine Winfield Jr. I am a fan of his, and I'm happy to see him succeed. I think it's great. Yeah, I I like I find with the taunting, I have such a there's such a fine line there in terms of like yes. what's acceptable versus what's not, and like so many times I find it, I'm like, oh man, like just like keep your mouth shut and and like win. But in a moment like that last night in the Super Bowl with the history, like especially the retaliation stuff. Um, after someone has yeah. kind of rubbed something in your face and you get to rub it back in their face in a, in a more important moment, I like, I just, 
there's part of me that loves that. And so like there, exactly. there's, a, there's some real taste to it. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it. But that's that's great. It's nice that uh a great moment for for people. And I think it's funny to see like you get these young guys that um a, a rookie who's this is their first experience. And I think it just you you look across the room and you see Tom Brady. I saw I saw a video last or it was posted uh of him just he was kind of casually packing up the stuff while everyone was running around and obviously he was part of the celebrations, but it's just like a yeah, been there, done that. Um yeah. attitude and, and this is just like yeah, like after after yeah. seven, it's like, yeah, I uh I've been around this block. I thought it was kind of funny, you know, he was they handed him the trophy and then he like <laughs> all his teammates are on the field and it's like his kids are passing around the trophy before the other Bucks teammates are actually passing around. You kind of sense like he just like handed it off to his daughter and just he was handing off to the brother and then you know and then I think the uh the biggest kid, I assume the oldest sibling, you know, just handed it back to dad. You know, and it was just like it just felt very casual for for Brady. I think like if I won a Super Bowl, I don't know if I'd hand off the trophy to my young daughter. I I think I'd be nervous, like don't drop it. Oh my gosh, you know, it's a little overwhelming. Man, Brady was so calm, cool, and collected. Maybe, maybe that's why people acknowledge him as the best quarterback on, you know, to ever play and not me. Because maybe, maybe he's just, maybe there's something about his persona and his approach that is, uh, he's a little better suited to that role than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I was talking to my wife yesterday and saying that there's, there really needs to be like, there's a, an elite ad or elite athlete mindset where yes. you're there and you know that you can compete. And then there's another one that's like, I don't actually give, a care to what anyone else has to say about what I'm doing. I like I'm yeah. doing it, and and Breeze, I feel like definitely uh, definitely got that. Wanted to transition to second down, and the day before the Super Bowl, we we saw an award handed out, and I think this was one of the things that Vikings fans were a little bit, I think, very cautiously hopeful for. Uh, wanted to see Jefferson get credited for for a great season, um, but we kind of knew that Herbert was a lock for this award. Um, from your from your real unbiased perspective, um, I say this very sarcastically. It, like, is it fair to say that it should have gone to Jefferson? Again, so yeah, so I, I I'm as biased as one could possibly be, and I think you know Herbie deserves credit. Justin Herbert, like he he had a nice year for sure, really good year, especially for a rookie and everything that they navigated with the chargers and just like, just how we get kind of thrown into the lineup with that crazy story of Tyrell Taylor. He should get credit to me. When I looked at the vote, if I'm not mistaken, it was 41 to nine. So he had 41 votes in favor of Justin Herbert and then nine in favor of Justin Jefferson. To my mind, that should be reversed. 41 in favor of Jefferson, nine in favor of Herbert. And basically I say that not be, it's not like I think Justin Herbert had an awful, year that he's an awful player or anything like that he had a great year for a rookie but here's the whole thing you always have to qualify and be like for a rookie he had a really great year and when i think when you compare a lot of those big stats you know he doesn't rank among elite company right and that's true of the more i think traditional stats as well as the advanced statistics and you don't say that at all and you know we've talked about this Reese. you you don't have to qualify at all with jefferson he is just elite and he navigated those similar things. Again, like he didn't start for the first couple of weeks, you know, Herbert didn't start for the first little bit, you know, they navigated the same kind of weird off season, you know, all, all this stuff, you could probably say pretty similar things. Uh, 
it's just I to me it's a little unfortunate in that you have a player who is truly elite at his position, and there's no disputing that. No one no one can debate that Justin Jefferson is already an elite player, an elite NFL wide receiver. And I don't think anybody could actually say Justin Herbert is an elite NFL quarterback. You can say he's a good NFL quarterback, and he certainly looks like he could become an elite NFL quarterback. But I don't think anyone can say that he's there now. And so to me, that would tilt it a little in favor of Jefferson. But what do you what do you think, Sam? I mean, I, I'm biased. You're going to be a little less biased than me because, you know, you're just not like the huge Vikings fan that I am. But what when you look at this, how do you understand it? Yeah, like as I hear you explain, I'm like, okay, like that's you've you've really talked yourself into being able to rationalize that. And like I understand that that line of thinking, but I feel yeah. like the the award is who was the best rookie. And I think if you like, I think Brian I thought put it really good when when he was on from Lizology when he said that like not not that it's a tie, but like the tie goes to the quarterback. Like if if there's a if there's a dispute. You're giving it to the quarterback because the quarterback has to make a play every single offensive every single offensive play. He's the guy, and so I think that being a quarterback is definitely different than being a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why giving it to Herbert. Like they both had record-setting years. Yep. I, I think that maybe there's examples in other seasons too, but it would have been great to to share. Although I, I do hate sharing awards. Um, I feel like. My idea of sharing would just be because I would give Jefferson a chance to to acknowledge what he did, um, but I just I have a hard time when you have a quarterback that set a rookie rookie records in, in passing yards versus a receiver who did the same receiving yards. I, I it's just it's it's going to go to the quarterback, and I think that I watched Herbert play. I, I was impressed. I, I do think that if we're looking at this, and it, I was actually, I pulled up the examples of, of who's won this award in the past, and there's some names on there that, like, really had had some good good rookie seasons and then kind of flamed out. Um, exactly. And so, as much as you want for him to get the recognition, I thought of the, the Jordan meme where he, uh, he took it personally. Um, yeah. And I, like, I, I saw Jefferson, he had uh, retweeted some stuff. Um, actually, I feel like he was almost more disappointed that they didn't get credit for the for the celebration of the year versus the rookie of the year. Um, I saw that too. Yeah, the gritty, which, which is great. Um, and I think that there's more beef. Uh, I think that that you could make a, bit, a bigger argument there. But um, I was I was looking at the the past winners, and so mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a range of 25 years. So for yes, the last okay. 25 years, um, so that goes back to I'm gonna say 1996. Um, when Eddie George from the Houston Oilers was uh, the rookie offensive rookie of the year, how many wide receivers would you say have won offensive rookie of the year? And, and bonus points if you can name a few of them. Well, I know for sure that um, I know for sure that Randy Moss and Percy Harvin have, because those those are two Vikings uh, receivers who have won the award, and I, I would say rightfully so. Both both were just dynamic. From, from the get-go, like just a real difference maker uh, from the very beginning. So there's two. So my floor is at two, and I know the Vikings are. It's a 25-year span. I'm going to say four. I'm, I'm just going to double that number and say four overall. 
Or is right. So, so oh, really? Wow. You got you got uh, Moss in 1998. Uh, you've got Anquan Bolden. Yes, that makes sense. You got yep. uh, OBJ 2014, and then you've got um, Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin nine. Yeah. Um, and so it would it would have been fun. It's actually kind of fun to see that the Minnesota Vikings are, are well represented there in terms of receivers. Yes. Um, yeah. But you look at some of these names. Like I'm looking at the last. 10 years. So you got Percy Harving, Sam Bradford, Newton, RG3, Eddie Lacy, OBJ, Gurley, Prescott, Kamara, Barkley, Murray, and Herbert. And like half of those lists, you're like, yeah, absolutely love on my team. And the other half, you're like, yeah, like they, they had, they had a couple of good seasons and, and now they're, they're, they're average. And I think that, right. Anyways, boards are great. You want to do that. But I think that, your argument about maybe even just career trajectory yes. is, is more important. And I can see that if you want to use that argument in terms of the better player, um, you there's there's a space there for for your avocation for, for Jefferson. And I know I was talking to you earlier saying that there's there's actually like a whole bunch of different Rookie of the Year awards that are handed out. You got the Pepsi Rookie of the Year award, yeah. The, yeah. the fan vote and the pro writers football. Um, we did want to acknowledge that uh, the sporting news, which we're now um, trumping over the Associated Press, did, <laughs> did, did give the record to or the the award to Jefferson. And so, and I think that, and all joking aside, the fact that this was voted on by NFL players, coaches, and executives is a pretty significant thing. I, I'm always, I always put a lot of stock in knowing that those who are playing against these guys are voting. Um, exactly. That their vote counts. I mean, exactly. Something. I mean, they, these guys, they know it. They'll understand it better than I ever will, better than Sam ever will. And so when the peers say, hey, Jefferson is for real, that, that to me carries more weight than, you know, Sam and I's opinion ever could, right? Because they, they, they just understand it in a very personal way because they are actually on the field. The only other thing I'll say in favor of Jefferson. And this was the Sports Illustrated Vikings writer pointed this out on his Twitter, where he said the rookie record uh, that Herbert beat was held for two years. It was Baker Mayfield, whereas the rookie record that Jefferson beat was in place for like 20 years or something like that. And so that maybe tells you how difficult is it to go in and you know, top this number, right? One, one's in, been in place for a couple decades. One's been in place for a couple years. And so which, which is the more impressive feat? Which is more unusual? Um, and again, I'm extremely biased. And there's no debating that a quarterback is far more important to a team's overall success. There's just no debating it. And I think that's what tilted in favor of Herbie. But I, uh, I'm still throwing my weight behind Jefferson. The little bit of weight that I have. Well, and, and as you say that, that, Stat, I'm like, psh, my mind's changed. I'm in, uh, I'm all aboard the Jefferson train. Because like, I think that is important. Like, that, that, that is a contextual, important factor to think about that. And just like, I think even even the, I think that I don't want to trash on anyone, um, but Jeff or some of Herbert's yards, like watching some of their games, like they were out of it, and it's easy right. to pick up yards sometimes. Like some of these garbage garbage time yards. Um, they were, he was often coming from behind. There's a lot of fourth quarter drives there where the defense is not playing the same because they are in a prevent situation where they're, they're just preventing the touchdown. And right. so, yeah, 
all, all aboard the Jefferson train. And, and like I said, with the, with the Jordan meme, we just hope that this is just fuel to the fire for, for, exactly. for a year or two. Um, want to transition down to the last down here. Um, you've titled it Three Purple Paths. I know you wrote an article over at the Vikings Gazette about this. Um, maybe just briefly, let's talk about what the Vikings have done so far in this offseason. So right now, I think the main thing is just, so there's been some subtraction on the coaching staff. Dom Capers is no longer, you know, that kind of like defensive consultant. Uh, Myron Maloof is no longer the special teams coordinator. Uh, Gary Kubiak has retired. He's no longer the offensive coordinator. Uh, uh, we lost uh, Durante Jones, uh, the secondary coach, who did an excellent job. Uh, everyone says he's done an excellent job. And I think you can see that in the progression of the young corners, especially. And so there's been, we lost some coaches. Some didn't do particularly well. Some did very, very well. And then in, you know, in Kubiak's case, it wasn't a matter of doing poorly or doing well. It was a matter of, I think he's just, you know, mostly health concerns. I think he just needs to step away. And, and certainly I respect that. And so I think right now they've replaced all those coaches except for, um, offensive coordinator. And so it certainly seems as though the next offensive coordinator will be Clint Kubiak. Uh, I think Justin Jefferson kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit in a recent interview where he, you know, he talked about, you know, he, Jefferson was talking about, you know, Kubiak being gone in the offense and this kind of thing. And then he just kind of starts saying, you know, but I think Clint is going to come in and do a really great job and, you know, have to give us that continuity. And so you look at that and say, okay, well, maybe the players know a little something that we don't hear. So it certainly seems like it will be Clint Kubiak as the next offensive coordinator. And I know that there is some concern among fans that, you know, you're giving this job to your friend's kid. You know, this is Zimmer and Kubiak, or Gary Kubiak, that is our friends, right? And then you're giving it to, you know, and meanwhile, Mike Zimmer's son, Adam Zimmer, is the co-defensive coordinator. And so I recognize there's concern about that, and I'm not going to say that that's illegitimate. What I will say is that there is somewhat of a history of, you know, offensive coordinator sons, you know, great offensive minds. Um, Mike Shanahan to Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's an excellent coach. And so hopefully Clint Kubiak can follow that same path, give us that continuity, right? He's been the quarterback coach for the past couple of seasons. Give us that continuity and hopefully bring a bit of a modern flair to it. Because uh, I know Zim has spoken about recently even, spoken about how the next OC he's hoping will really be able to get the most out of that offensive talent. And so hopefully Clint Kubiak or whoever ends up being will be the one who uh, can do that. Yeah. It, it, um, th- this is just kind of the stage of, of the year where the, the off season hasn't, I guess it's technically in its off season, but there's still, mm-hmm. um, there's only so much you can do. And so this is kind of where the, the coaching staff, those moves happen and, and teams are getting set up for, for building their team that they're going to move forward with next year. Um, so just as you look at this team, there's obviously a real, I think there's probably, there's a, an unpredictability in terms of like, there's a, there's a few different directions the team can go this year. Like it's not like a clear, maybe you disagree, but maybe there's not like a clear, like this is, this is their plan. I know we've seen some Kirk Cousins rumors floating around. What do you see as the directions that this team can go in this offseason. Right. So I think there are, th- I, I, so I said there are three purple paths. You can, you, you can 
Um, gosh, there's a rhyme. Uh, so that they can implode, reload, or kick the can down the road. So that was the rhyme that I came up with. And so implode, you just intentionally tank. You blow it up. We're going to trade Kirk Cousins. Turns out the rumors were true. To me, I, I just think that's nonsense. I, I just don't think. And I recognize that, you know, they traded digs and all this stuff. And they said they weren't going to do it, and yet they did. But it's it's totally different. I mean, when you give a quarterback a huge contract, you're like you're marrying, you're attaching your whole organization to that quarterback. And basically, Spielman and Zim, they're tied at the hip. And friggin' Cousins is in there as well. Refer to them as the leadership trinity over on the Vikings Gazette because they're really they're going to succeed or fail together. And if they totally flop, you know, this next season, I think they're all gone. And if they totally succeed and win a Super Bowl next season, then I think they'll be around for a long time. Right? I think they're really interconnected. So I think the the implode option, where you just ship them out, trade, and just totally you know, sell off assets, recoup cap space, get you know extra draft picks. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the real intrigue rests in: Are they going to choose to reload? Or are they going to kick the can down the road? And so if they choose to reload, then they're going to maybe do. Where last season you saw that, that defensive exodus where they moved on from a lot of their defensive guys. You know, Xavier Rhodes was gone, Trey Waynes was gone, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, et cetera. We lost all these players. And the whole idea was to maybe get the finances in a bit of a better place and then also bring in a lot of youth, make the team faster, more dynamic, that kind of thing. Maybe they pursue that same path, but with their offense, where you move on from Riley Reef, from Kyle Rudolph. Adam Thielen, etc. Maybe that's what they do, and that that to me is entirely plausible. I don't think it's the likeliest scenario, but it wouldn't shock me if they did that this season and kind of finished. It not it's not a rebuild; it's more so a reload. You, you know, you move on from some of these older, more expensive vets and bring in, you know, some younger replacements, kind of thing. That's possible. What I think they'll really try and do though is to kick the can down the road. And what I mean by that is they're going to, I think Zim and Spielman, I think it's safe to say they're both on the hot seat, that if, if this season is a failure, they're both gone. And so then I think then with that motivation, and it is a powerful motivation, you you kick the can down the road, you restructure, you extend. It doesn't mean that you don't cut players. Maybe they still do cut Calvary Maybe they still do cut Riley Reef. But I think that maybe you kick the can down the road in terms of some of this financial stuff and try and compete and really go far in 2021. So to me, I think it's that third purple path, kicking the can down the road, pushing money into future years, you know, restructuring, et cetera, et cetera, to try and give themselves room this year uh, to really compete. I think that that is what they'll do. I suspect that within the next week, we're going to have an offensive coordinator in place. And then it won't be too long after that. I mean, the, the new league year begins March 17, 4 p.m., 4.01 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. And so we're about a little more than a month away from that. They're going to want to have uh, their coach, you know, the offensive coordinator in place sooner rather than later. And then they're going to be making moves over this next month or so to get their finances in order as they evaluate their roster and what they're going to need to do. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, I think that as fans, you, you definitely you don't want to watch a rebuild, um, and that I don't think that they're they're definitely in that spot of, of just kind of selling off everything. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. It. I love seeing the the trade rumors, and I always send them to Kyle because 
it's funny to see what different fans like to offer or, or think is a legitimate offer. Um, just like FYI, Kirk Cousins for Deshaun Watson, probably not going to try. Um, but, yeah. uh, but, but one, one can dream. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on, uh, on the, the off season before we, uh, we transition? The one thing I'll say is that I don't think the finances are nearly as dire as what most fans have been led to believe. Uh, if you look at over the cap, they've adjusted it now to 100 and I think they're at 180 or 181 million now, which puts the Vikings at like seven and a half million over the cap. And so if you just move on from Rudolph and Stefan, two players who I think most fans would say you should move on from, well, now all of a sudden we have over a million in cap space. Right. And then if you work an extension with Hunter, Kendricks, Smith, maybe even Cousins, you know, with Adam Thielen, there's any number of players you could extend and there's other cuts you could make. Now, all of a sudden, we have some room to operate. And so I I would expect the Vikings to be active in free agency, but within free agency's second tier. They're not going to go out and get the big, you know, the main players. I don't think so. But they will get some help for sure, I think. It would it would be fun. It would be fun for them to have some some leverage and to be able to to get some top guys. And I think that yeah, they they like they're they're definitely not in the position of the Saints where I, I have no idea what they're going to be right. with with the cap. Like they you don't want to be you don't want to be tied to it. And it does feel like there's a lot of options there, and there is a clear path to make sure they're safe. It's just about maximizing that space and using it for for what you need. So exactly. Yeah. Um, anyways, want to transition to our odds and ends here in, in the hockey update. Uh, right now we see the Minnesota Wilder out of the playoffs. Um, it's they're, they're early, so it's, it's okay. But actually point percentage wise, they're still in. So Anaheim's at 13 games and, and the Minnesota Wilder at 11. And so I actually think that point percentage might actually be a really key factor as we see the effects that COVID have had so far. Actually, Minnesota Wilder right now out there their game tomorrow night against the St. Louis Blues is postponed. They've got the game on the 11th is still a question mark, but that's kind of the, the target date. They do have eight players. Sorry. Nine players on the COVID protocol list as of yesterday. And that's just a, it's a tough loss. And it's not like they're, they're minor names. Like these are, they're, they got Spurgeon and, and Bukestad and Benino, Cole, Erickson Eck, Felino, Johansson, Stern, Hunt. Um, like, some, some top guys in their team there. And so I think that we, you saw in the NFL the way this COVID thing worked. And like all things considered, I actually think that the NFL pulled it off relatively well. Um, there were some games that were delayed. There was some schedule maneuvering, but they actually did okay. The, the NHL is tough because you're playing every other night. They're jam-packed this season. And so now you've got these teams that are playing each other and then they're traveling to another spot and they're playing another team in the next two days. And we saw with, with the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils, the, the contamination that, that happened and just the way that this, this whole thing worked. Um, it's going to be tough to, I, like, I, I don't know if every team's going to play all 56 games. Um, and so winning when you're playing and doing the best you can is the most important thing. And, and I, I do feel like they're still in a good spot. Um, so it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. And you just hope that these players recover well because We've seen with Marco Rossi, he's uh, he struggled with his his recovery with COVID. He he's actually been sent back to sent back home over in Europe and in Austria to 
to recover because he just he's never able to get right after having COVID back in November. Um, there was an article written about him uh, by Michael Russo in The Athletic, and, and Rossi just had a tweet uh, a week ago just saying, like many, I was originally shocked and very disappointed. Yet at this time, I'm very optimistic that my health is and will be good to return to train and play. One thing I know is that I come back stronger than ever. And so we're definitely hoping that that he recovers. Um, but uh, yeah, cheering for him and, and just hoping that that the season can go well, but also that that everyone's health and safety is is going to be be okay um, moving forward. That's fair, and I think the only thing I'll add to that is that uh, I mean, readers should definitely go check, check out miniice.com. It's a site that's within you know our network. Um, and they're doing really excellent work. So if you're also a, a hockey fan, by all means, punch in miniice.com into your uh, your search or your your internet, uh, whatever it is, you know, Chrome Browser. or Mozilla Firefox, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so just give it give it a try. I think you'll be be really pleased with what they have to offer. Yeah. And and the last thing I was going to say, just in my last update, we talked about Dubois. Um, yes. He was a spot yeah. for for Minnesota. We recorded on Friday. Dubois got traded Saturday morning. Uh, we published on Monday. We were like, do we edit it? And I was like, after Kyle's, we were talking, I was like, I, I don't know, like maybe this is a guy that you really, you go for and, and sell, sell the farm for. But then seeing the price tag that he ended up coming at with Patrick Line and yeah. um, Jack Roslovic, um, wow. The Minnesota would have, it looked like Columbus wanted someone from the roster. Um, and I don't think that Minnesota would have had the pieces that they would be willing to give up to make that move. And so it ended up not being really, really a factor. Um, but just to say that I thought initially I was like, oh, maybe you do go for it. And then seeing the price, I think that was kind of my hesitancy when we were talking about it. I was like, yeah, this is, uh, this was not the space. Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally yeah. fair. Um, Kyle, words of wisdom for, uh, for, for the listeners. So the words of wisdom for this week are that, so I, you know, I'm working my way through the Bible now, so I'm, I'm in Leviticus now, but I I was just in Exodus, and you get uh, Moses interacting with the Lord. And, uh, you know, him coming down, you know, and it talks about, you know, the glow in his face. And you get the real sense of, the sense of awe and wonder of interacting with God and its impact and how that just, you know, really shifts your perspective. And so I think that, you know, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is very important. The Minnesota Vikings are very important. The Minnesota Wilds, same thing, right? Stanley Cup. But I think that we really would do well to have some perspective in life. And there are certain things like, say, Marco Rossi's health that will just always be more important in sports, right? And then you see, like, in the lead up to the Super Bowl, Kirk Cousins was talking about, you know, he's bringing awareness to the issues with human trafficking, right, with the Super Bowl every year. You know, those issues will always be more important. And so let's have a healthy perspective, keep things in order. And we should be passionate fans by all means, but then we should also look at some of this other stuff and recognize that these things are more important and, uh, you know, respond appropriately, whatever that might mean for that particular situation. Yeah. Now I've always appreciated athletes that take their platform and, and use it to, to bring awareness of that. And, and yes. Uh, yeah, you love to see that from from Cousins, the the franchise QB that he is. Yep. Um, just closing words, we just want to thank everyone 
there for listening. Be sure to stop by vikingsgazette.com for great Minnesota Vikings news, commentary, and analysis. The Vikings Gazette can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Vikings Gazette. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks.